0: Hello and welcome to the HRD live podcast, live on site at the HRD Summit UK 2020, where I'm lucky enough to be joined by Fiona Young, Content Director and Head of Diversity and Inclusion Practice at Hive Learning. Fiona, thank you for joining me.
1: Thanks so much
0: for having me. So I mean, it's like a lengthy title, <laughs> a fantastic yeah. title you got there initially. <laughs> so why don't you first of all just give the people listening a bit of idea about what you mm. do? And uh, how that relates to how Hive Learning does as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, that is a long title. And (laughs) (laughs) so, to start with, Hive Learning is a pure learning platform, mainly for enterprises, right? So we work with big corporates. We really try to bring people together in purpose-driven digital communities Mm. to share best practice, to collaborate, to learn from each other. And so, when we talk about content, my title, content director at Hive Mm. Learning, really, I'm thinking about building digital learning. Oh, and so we've done quite a lot in diversity and inclusion in the past few years. So we built up a program two years back called Inclusion Works. Mm. It's a digital toolkit for building an inclusive culture. So I built that up with my team, and I also host the uh, Inclusion Works podcast. So you can check course, that out yeah. sometime. In fact, on
0: my <laughs> table this we have a, you can't see it, but oh, a fabulous flyer yeah. for Inclusion Works. Please do check that out.
1: The branding, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, and so, we have a whole practice around diversity and inclusion, and really a specialism there. And our mission is to build the world's greatest digital diversity and inclusion toolkit.
0: Wow. Okay. Quite a task. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Just
1: a small. <laughs> so I understand
0: that um, one of the things you work on at the moment is um, a frontline report on unconscious bias. I know this is something that is really important to highlight unconscious bias as well. Could you tell me a little bit about that? and What the purpose was behind it, and what are you trying to achieve?
1: Yeah, so late last year we kicked off these frontline reports, really thinking, actually we're talking to so many experts. It started off a few years back when I started building this program up. It was like I was talking to all these experts, I'd go to meetings, oftentimes I'd be sitting across from you know DNI leaders and big organizations and they're scribbling down notes and telling me, I'm learning so much from you. And it's like, hey, I'm no expert. I just talk to a lot of serious experts, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. Which is kind of how we spun out the podcast you know, a year back. We're like, actually, let's try to capture and share this. And that's the same with the reports. So we're like Let's try to capture all these learnings and things that we're hearing from people and just share it more broadly through proper research. So this report is all about unconscious bias training. So it's pretty well documented that unconscious bias training doesn't work or it doesn't work that well. Right. And so the report is really trying to get at why and how might we try to make it more effective, mm-hmm. or are we kind of taking the wrong approach for the outcomes that we want to achieve through unconscious bias training? So, so kind of trying to unpick: Are your organizations really still using this? Mm. Because from the data I've seen, they are. You know, something like twenty percent of major businesses in the U.S., for instance, are using unconscious bias training. Yeah. And yet, there's all this research from like Frank Dobbin and colleagues at Harvard, mm. for instance, that says it doesn't work. So, so why, right? And, right. and how can we do it better, really?
0: It's interesting because it is kind of a contentious subject in terms of conscious yeah. bias, right? Like, and I've seen different reports, and I've interviewed different people on the subject, and so I have very different positions on it. But in your opinion, do you think there is still a place for unconscious bias training in organizations today? And, like, and how, should that, how should that operate? How should it take place?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I personally, and from the research that we've done, and also the well-documented research that's out there already, the academic research, you know, I do think there is a place for it, but I think that what it can do for your organization is limited. and You have to be really realistic about that. Um, and so, so for instance, like unconscious bias training can't be your only training strategy, right? right. Like right. In, in the d world, like it can be the kind of awareness building piece, like the first step to get people to kind of open their eyes to why there's an issue here. Yeah. But ultimately that's just the first step, you know? And, and so we can't be making that the sort of heart and soul of a D&I strategy, training strategy, learning strategy in oh, big course. organizations. And that's certainly, you know, the research I've seen shows like it's usually face-to-face only, it's usually one-off, it's like a big bang event, you know, of that you course. do once, yeah. or you do once a year, or once every few years. Um, it tends to be quite negative in the way that it's framed, and that's problematic as well, so mm. it's like, you're broken, you know, <laughs> you need to fix yourself, which makes people who aren't bought into this stuff really turn off from it. Or on yeah. the flip side, if it's too cuddly and warm and fuzzy, then people think, "Oh, you know, well, I have this unconscious bias, and okay, that's kind of okay because we all have it, and I'm just yeah. going to go on my merry way and continue, like letting bias seep into everything And you've do, got right? the
0: word "unconscious" in there as well, that makes people think, "Oh, it's so it's kind of not my fault then, right?" So, exactly. I don't and that's it. That's,
1: a, that's actually a psychological concept called um, moral licensing. So, there's a whole load of research behind this that shows that essentially when you tell someone, oh, you know, you have a bias or whatever, then they go on and actually act in an even more biased way afterwards because it makes them feel like morally they're sort of okay for that. Um, So, yeah, the psychology behind it is fascinating and there's loads and loads of research that backs this up. Basically, you know, we are interested in this particularly because, of course, we're working in the digital space and we're trying to do this sort of learning very differently. So, so we're trying to change the status quo and, and so we're, enormously interested in what's broken with unconscious bias training and how we can take these lessons as well and kind of build something much greater off the back
0: of it. So, so on that note then, what mm-hmm. do you think are the most effective strategies then in driving change uh, against or around unconscious bias and how can you make it part of I suppose the, the daily consciousness of people within business? Because that seems like a big challenge in the
1: oh yeah, and this is what our research for this report has certainly dug up. You know, I think we, we started by asking a lot of questions about what was broken, are you using it, do you find it effective, and actually we ended up getting loads and loads of advice about how we might do it better. Um, so I think the first and probably the most important thing is instead of thinking about de-biasing people, you need to actually debias your processes and practices. Right, right. This is something, you know, Iris Bonnet, who's from Harvard's Kennedy School, fantastic researcher, academic, who's written a book called What Works, Gender Equality by Design. Mm. That's basically the thesis of her book. It's like, you can't rely on people to change their behavior, particularly with bias. This stuff is so deep-seated. You know, so instead, look at your practices. How are you attracting talent? How are you hiring people? How are you making pay and performance decisions, right? So all those sorts of things that ultimately are totally tinged with bias. How can we redesign those processes that minimizes the chance that bias comes into them? So I'd say that's number one. Um, The second one is really giving people super practical tools to sidestep their bias and also to be more inclusive, because ultimately Inclusion is sort of the antidote to bias, right? right, right. And yeah. so, so, going back to what I just said about how bias is super hard to shift. Like, there's research from uh, Professor Margot Monteith at the University of Kentucky that shows that children as young as the age of three have deep-seated bias based on class, wow. ethnicity, gender, race, et cetera. And so, you know, these are these are things that are instilled by the media, by our teachers, by peers, et cetera, like from a very young age. Very difficult to shift. So instead by trying to give people, right, what are the what are things you can actually do today, this week, to be more inclusive is massively more productive than kind of harping on and on about what is bias and how might it seep out. Obviously, as I said before, I definitely think there is a role <laughs> for that too, but you know, it's kind of getting that balance right, I of think. Course. Um, I think, sorry, I have just no, a couple no, more no, thoughts. No. I think another way to think about doing it better is really integrating all the stuff, so inclusion, bias, and okay. awareness of equality and systemic isms really embedding that in all the training and learning that you're already doing. Mm. So instead of it being like, just something HR does over there, you know, this needs to be a part of your frontline management training. This needs to be a part of senior leadership events, off sites and big training programs. Mm. This needs to be a part of your onboarding into the organization and really embedded in values, right? So you need to look at it kind of more holistically. Um, and then I'd say the final thing, I kind of mentioned this before, you can't rely on a big bang event. So to do unconscious bias training better, it can't be a one-off thing, right? Like we really need to look at it as like, how can you give people, first off, the learning that they want to do, not the learning that they have to do, you know? So how do you make it really interesting, make it everyday and actionable? And we've seen certainly with one of our clients on Inclusion Works that, I think their mandatory DNI training they did a couple years back, they had 26% of people actually engaged in that. And it was mandatory, right. so that's pretty poor. Yeah, that's you not You know, great. with our program, they had over 80% of people engaged in that. And, it's, and it wasn't mandatory. It wasn't pitched that way at all. And it's just like, give people the practical tools that are in their back pocket, yeah. you know, that are in the flow of work, on their phone, where they're already spending their time. You know, and allow yeah. them to fit it into those like three minutes when they're waiting for their bus or whatever. Like make it super accessible in that way that fits into people's lives and, and super actionable, right? And you'll have such a better impact in actually shifting behavior, which then shifts culture at scale
0: amazing on the subject of shifting behavior one last thing i'd like to ask because i know on the inclusion works podcast team, you end things by saying okay this is one note you can take away right now to start being more inclusive in your mindset straight away so i'd love to ask actually what what would be your <laughs> one tip right now that uh, people listening to this can take away to start being more inclusive at this moment
1: oh yeah i mean i love i love that question that we ask because you always get such great practical advice and right I would say I've been really obsessed recently with this idea of micro-inclusions. So we talk a lot in DI and HR about microaggressions, right? So the way that we unintentionally exclude people through tiny signals, symbols, quips, remarks, banter, etc. <laughs> right. so this is sort of the flip side of that. And, and so actually there's some great research that's been done by a chap named Rosenthal on rats, and don't want to go massively into this, but I would say you should definitely check out those um, it's a great episode on NPR's Invisibilia podcast oh, about okay. this. Basically, the the short bit of the short story of this is that um, Rosenthal took a bunch of his students at Harvard and and unwittingly put them into an experiment using rats. So he took the rat cages, he put labels on them. Some of them he labeled, "These are high-performing rats." You know, that means they can run through mazes quickly. Some of them he labeled as, "So oh, these are low-performing rats." So. And and so, actually, there was no difference. These rats were genetically identical. You know, there was no reason why one set would have been better or worse performing than the other. And then he measured their performance. And amazingly, what happened is, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. The ones that were labeled as being high-performing were high-performing, and the ones that were labeled as being low-performing were low-performing. And it turns out that just the way the tiny signals that we give to things like rats, and to people like you know the people you work with in your organization every day actually massively influence their performance measurably and and so what i'm trying to say here is that the micro inclusions that you send are things like when you're in the lift do you say hi to the person next to you or as you walk through your (laughs) office floor who do you make eye contact with who do you smile at you know if you're in a meeting say with a group of eight different people Who do you sort of lean into physically with your body language and listen to and nod and, you know, et cetera, give that attention to and that focus to versus who are the people maybe, you know, you're busily writing notes or not really engaging when they're talking. And so trying to notice those things, just spend a week maybe noticing those things and try to understand, right, why am I doing this? Because oftentimes it comes down to affinity bias and it's because we like people who are like us and we can't change that. But if we can notice that and begin to shift our behavior and even out those micro-inclusions, and that's actually really
0: powerful. What an amazing note to end on. (laughs) Fiona, thank you so much for joining us on the HLD Live podcast. Thank you, it. I encourage everyone to check out Inclusion Works as well. It's a fantastic podcast, and hopefully we can have you back again soon.
1: Thank you so much.